So here we have another of many stories in the gospel where Jesus is in a synagogue and it is the Sabbath. And here's what happens. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. So some of the commentators talk about a certain spinal disease where your vertebrae uh, lock together. Um, it could be that, but it's also there's satanic involvement here. There's a spirit involved. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight. And she glorified God. Now, that'd be great if that was the end of the story. But the ruler of the synagogue, the guy who kept order in the church, right? but the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. So uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kind of break this into two parts. And I first want to, to raise a question that every Christian deals with at some point in their life, and that is, what about the fourth commandment? That you're to keep holy the Sabbath and specifically to do no work. Are we under obligation to the fourth commandment, right? And, and this is a rather serious matter because we read in Numbers chapter 15 about a, a, a man in Israel who is picking up sticks on the Sabbath, maybe going to make a fire, and some people come across him, and they go, you shouldn't be doing that, and they take him to Moses. And they say, Moses, this guy was picking up sticks. What should we do? And Moses goes into the tent of meeting. He talks to God. And you know what God says? Stone him. And they kill him. There's a case where sticks and stones do break bones, right? So, um, this is a rather serious question. Are we obligated to keep the Sabbath? It would cost you your life if you were an Israelite. Now, um, there are different theological positions on this. Let me, let me show you where I am coming from, and I'm going to give you six quick statements. All right? Statement number one would be this. Christ is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. All right? We read in Colossians, Therefore, let no one pass judgment 
on you and questions of food and drink, so do you, do you need to keep kosher? I hope not, because we went to Red Lobster the other day. Right? You're not allowed to eat shellfish. Um, so don't let anybody pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Or with regard to a festival, so all the Jewish festivals, Passover and um, Feast of Tabernacles, where you would sleep in a booth for a week, are you obligated to keep that? Boy, that would have been cold Thursday, right? Um, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. I take that pretty straightforward. We are no more under obligation to keep the Sabbath than we are to sleep in a booth for a week or to eat kosher. Went to a men's breakfast yesterday. We had some bacon. I think it was pork sausage, too. Mm-mm. Did we violate the law of God? If you were Jewish, if you were living in, under the Old Covenant, you would. But what this says is Christ is the substance that the ceremonial law was the shadow that is now fulfilled in the substance of Christ. I always like to give the illustration of, of the man who goes off to war and the family has a picture of him. And they look at the picture every day and they adore the picture and they love the image. And one day he comes through the door, I'm home! And they, they're still loving the, the image and they ignore him. They're more in love with the shadow, the image, than the reality. Christ has come! He's the fulfillment of the Sabbath. In what way? Well, what's the Sabbath about? Is it just keeping the rules? No. It's a picture of rest. It's a picture of you are justified by faith alone, not by works. Right? Okay, so point number one, he is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Number two, Sabbath keeping, though, is a disputable matter. So uh, ESV puts it this way in Romans 14.1, as for the one who is weak in faith, and what that means is your conscience doesn't allow you to do certain things or, or to participate in certain things. You have a, a conscience that is sensitive. Um, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Don't exclude this person. But welcome him not to quarrel over opinions. The NIV translates that, not to quarrel over disputable matters. Um, now, some people just can't handle this, that there are disputable matters. Now, there are black and white issues in Scripture. But here, Paul acknowledges that there are disputable matters. And one of the disputable matters is this. In verse 4 and 5, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? So the idea is God is Lord. He has clear-cut rules. And then he is also the Lord of each individual conscience. And he may work differently in different people's conscience. Right? So who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Well, give me an example, Paul. One person esteems one day as better than another. Like 
the Sabbath. While another esteems all days alike. Which one's right and which one's wrong? Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. You can have different convictions about the Sabbath. Okay? We've, we've looked at this before, that uh, on the extremes here, we have the legalist and the other extreme, licentiousness. Um, legalism says, uh, here are the rules. We're taking gray issues and imposing them on everybody. And licentiousness says, there is no, no black and white. Everything's gray. Do whatever you want. You want to avoid that. But in the middle, there's the weaker brother and the stronger brother. The weaker brother is the person who says, um, my conscience won't allow me to do A, B, or C, um, so I'm not going to, but I will allow you to. It's my own personal conviction. The stronger brother says, hey, I don't have a problem. Paul was a stronger brother. He says, I can eat whatever meat I want but I don't want to cause the weaker brother to stumble. But here's the deal. The middle two is a grace zone where we are gracious with one another and we allow there to be different levels of conviction. Okay. Statement number three. There is value in a day of rest. Okay. Remember, Jesus said this. Um, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, uh, the Jews of his day had turned the Sabbath into an enslaving thing. You, you served the Sabbath. And he's, he's saying, no, you, you're not to be enslaved to the Sabbath, but you know what? The Sabbath was made for man. It's good to rest. Not only is it good for our bodies, it's good for our souls. It's good for our families. It's good for our employees. Right? Um, so, having taken the burden of the law off, now, if it was good back then, might it not be good for you to have a Sabbath? Right? Now, the next three are, are rather quick. But, but wait a minute, and I hear this one all the time. It's in the top ten. Right? It's, it's in the big ten. Uh, the top ten list. Well, the Ten Commandments were foundational to the Mosaic Covenant. Yes? So a covenant is an agreement God makes with his people. Guess what? The Mosaic Covenant was a unique covenant that God gave to Israel. I don't know about you, I'm in the New Covenant. Okay? Nine of them, nine of the Ten Commandments, are repeated in the New Covenant. I don't see Sabbath-keeping as one of them. But it's in the Big Ten, and I'll, I would have to conclude then that... One of them, the Sabbath, was a ceremonial law. Nine of them were moral laws. The fourth one was ceremonial, just like kosher food, just like the festivals. And some people can't, they go, nope, they're all moral. They're, okay, that's, that's fine. 
But I, I, my tipping point is the Colossians passage and the Romans 14 passage. That puts it in the ceremonial category for me. Uh, it puts it in the let's be gracious with one another. Uh, it puts it in the category where it's a good thing, but let's be careful that we don't judge one another on Sabbath keeping. You know, sometimes people can kind of have a, an arrogance about them. Well, I have a Sabbath. Well, that's great, but the snootiness is if you don't, pity you. Well, be careful about that attitude. All right. All right. So that's my little little theological lesson on the Sabbath. Now, another question: Was Jesus purposely breaking the Sabbath to move from old covenant to new covenant? No. Remember, he was still a Jew living under the, the uh, Mosaic law. I don't think Jesus ever broke the Mosaic law. So however you interpret these Sabbath passages, I think we have to be careful that we don't say Jesus broke the Sabbath. I think it's better to say the Jewish people of his day were breaking the Sabbath, right? Not by being too lenient, but by being too legalistic right? legalistic to the point of having more compassion on their animals who they would do some work to water than on a woman who had been bent over for 18 years and that's where he points out their legalism and their hypocrisy um, Legalism is basically lawism. It gets so myopic about the law, even God's law, that it misses God's heart. Right? That, in essence, is what legalism is. Here's the rules. He broke the rules. Jesus bad, kick him out. And woman, you, sh you should come back on some other day. Yeah, 18 years is a long time to be bent over, but you could wait one more day. So, now let's talk about legalism. Four characteristics of a legalist that we get from this passage. Okay? Number one, legalists are simplistic. They reduce the complex to simple black and white issues. Now, don't mishear me. I, I do think there are many black and white issues. There are some people who want to put a nuance on everything and there's an excuse for everything, and nothing is black and white, okay? That's, that's not where we're going. But there's the opposite, where we can take complex issues and make them simple black and white, either or issues. So here's what the, the synagogue ruler was doing. He says, I got my Ten Commandments. One of them says no work on the Sabbath. Healing involves work. Therefore, healing on the Sabbath is sinful. Okay, Sabbath, don't do any work. Healing is work. Therefore, healing on Sabbath is sin. How could it be any clearer? It's black and white, right? Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Now, apparently, it was too simple. Okay. I, I may have told this story before. I was at a conference once, and... Uh, the session was over, 
and started talking to the guy next to me. He was a, uh, a young, strapping man from Canada. Hey, he was up from Canada there. And um, we got talking to him. He was very excited to be at this conference. And I said, so what kind of church do you go? He says, oh, I was just excommunicated from my church. And uh, I go, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. What, what happened? And, and he goes, I was, I was excommunicated by my own father. He's the pastor. Oh. Where are our kids, by the way? Okay, all right. And I said, so what were you excommunicated for? Spiritual adultery. What? Then I can't remember the story. I, I think he just went to another church. Caleb says he was baptized in another church. I don't, I don't remember what. But you, you tamper with another church, that's spiritual adultery, and he was excommunicated by his own father for going to another church. Okay? Um, so I asked him, I said, um, sounds like your church is pretty legalistic. And I, I remember he goes, how do you mean? <laughs> um, and I said, well, are there a lot of rules? I said, like, for example, can you go to the movies? He goes, oh, no, you can't go to the movies. He says, you can't have a TV either. And I said, wow, okay, so that answers my question. And so he's asking him about his father and his relationship with his father, and as he talked more, he explained um, that um, his dad was trying to, to talk some sense into him, and he used an illustration, the father used an illustration from a contemporary movie that had just come out. And I, I said, I thought you couldn't go to the movies. And he goes, oh, oh, he didn't go to the movies. He, he watched it on Netflix. I said, well, I thought you couldn't have a TV. He said, we don't have a TV. He watches it on his computer. So it boils down to this. Movie screen, bad. TV screen, bad. Computer screen, fine. Right? That's, the, that's the rules. It's simple. And it, so, so the simplistic thinking is this. At some point, somebody said, you know what Hollywood pumps out, we've got to be careful of. And then somebody said, don't go to movies. And then it came into our TV screens, and they said, don't watch TV. They, they, the rule guy didn't keep up with the digital age, and now it's on computer screens. And what, what transferred was not the principle behind it, but the screen you watch it on. Right? That's how legalism Works. And we got to watch out for each other. Okay. Here's another characteristic. Legalism is humanistic, and I don't mean like secular humanism. I mean it's all about human rules. Legalists elevate man-made rules above God's law. So it, it starts out with good intentions. So here's God's law, 
And to keep us from violating that law, let's build a fence around that law so we don't even come close to falling into the hole. And then, so we don't come close to that fence, let's build another fence around that fence. And a fence around that fence, pretty soon we're just into fences and we forget the point of the law. So um, here are just some of the rules that developed over Sabbath keeping. No one could carry a load heavier than a dried fig. So even in your pockets, you know, you would, you would empty out your pockets and you just got to make sure that you are not violating the Sabbath by something heavier than a fig newton. Right? Nothing larger than an olive can be eaten on the Sabbath. Now, I don't think that means that's all you can eat all day is, is something as small as an olive. It, I think it meant that the mama prepared the food the day before and it had to be cut smaller than an olive, right? I think it would be simplest just to eat olives, then you're never going <laughs> to violate this. If the Sabbath overtook you as you reached for some food, the food was to be dropped. So you're reaching for an apple, and as this, so the Sabbath begins Friday night when the sun goes down. If the sun drops down quickly on you in mid-reach, you better drop that apple, right? And they didn't, they didn't have digital clocks back then, so it's probably a pretty subjective thing. But, you know, just to be safe, drop that apple. No baths on the Sabbath, for one might spill water on the floor and inadvertently wash it. Okay? Um, so that's the, there's accidental work that can happen on the Sabbath. So they had laws against... Things like taking baths. How about this one, ladies? Women could not look in a mirror lest they be tempted to pluck a gray hair. Right? So you look in the mirror, you really can't do anything about what you see, ladies, so just why even tempt yourself to pluck an eyebrow or pluck a hair? So no mirror looking, right? Now, they had 39 categories of what constituted work. Here's some of them. No sowing, no plowing, no reaping, grinding, baking, threshing, binding, sheaves, winnowing, sifting, dyeing, shearing, spinning, kneading, separating or weaving two threads, tying or untying a knot, and sewing two stitches. You can do one, not two. All right? Now, when you have this many fences, life becomes impossible, so then you come up with ways to get around the fences. So, for example, one can only travel 3,000 feet from their home. So sometimes you hear uh, it's a Sabbath day's journey in the Bible. Okay? You can only go 3,000 feet. But if the previous day they had placed food within 3,000 feet of the home, they could go there to eat it. And since the food was an extension of the house, they could then go another 3,000 feet behind, beyond the food. So, let's say you want to visit Grandma on the other side of town. The night before, you put an olive every 3,000 feet. <laughs> you can go visit Grandma without violating the Sabbath. So, maybe I've shared this before we go to Israel. Pushing the elevator button is a violation of the Sabbath. That's work. So you know what they do in the big, nice hotels? 
they have a Sabbath elevator that's programmed during the entire Sabbath. It goes to, to the lobby, opens and closes. Goes to floor one, opens and closes. Goes to floor two, opens and closes. Because you don't want to be pushing the button. But if you just happen to be standing around on the, in, on the Sabbath and the elevator door opens and you just kind of wander on and it goes up to your 14th floor and you just kind of wander off, you haven't violated the Sabbath. Now, you're not allowed to put the key in the door. And you're not allowed to ask the bellman to open the door, but you know what you could do? You could wish out loud. Boy, I wish somebody would open the door for me. That's not it. You're not telling him. You're wishing out. I wish somebody would turn the lights on for me. Okay. So, here's what Jesus said. You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teachings. Uh, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines. The commandments of men. Okay. Third characteristic of legalism is it's ritualistic. What's that mean? The act itself makes me right with God regardless of my heart. Okay. So the Canadian. Right? Not having the TV in the house is what made them holy, regardless of what I may or may not view on my computer screen. Okay, So I was raised in a tradition where we practiced Lent. Okay, Now this may surprise you. I don't have a problem with Lent if you do it right. It's supposedly 40 days before Easter, and you're preparing your heart for Easter. Easter. And one of the things you, you might do is give up something. We gave up candy. We had our candy jars. And I, I remember the cupboard where the candy jars were. And whenever we got candy, we would put them in the candy jar. Now, I didn't understand it. I just thought it was the way you earn points before God. And then on Easter morning, sugar rush. Right? <laughs> now, not only do you, can you eat from the candy jar, but then you got all those jelly beans and Easter eggs and all. It was awesome, right? Um, but somebody came up with the idea that on Fridays you should sacrifice. And by sacrifice, you're not allowed to eat meat. Okay? But then somebody declared that fish is not meat. So, I don't know, I, that's fine with me. Um, but then, so we lived in Wisconsin for a while, heavy, heavy Catholic and Lutheran population. And we'd drive down the road and every restaurant had Lenten special, all-you-can-eat fish fry. Yeah, I'm digging this Lent thing, right? Especially if you like fish. Okay, all-you-can-eat shrimp. Well, that's ritualism. It's the idea that I didn't eat the, the meat, I didn't eat the beef, therefore the act itself makes me holy, though I can gluttonize on the fish fry. Okay? You know, we can, we can do this uh, with communion. And here's what Paul says about communion. 
Let a person examine himself then, then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, um, some people have said, well, the body here, that's, you got to recognize, you have to uh, discern that the body of Christ is in, in the bread. I don't think that's what he's talking about at all. He's talking about the body of Christ. In other words, you're to examine yourself and say, hey, am I at odds with somebody in the family of God? I need to get that dealt with before I have communion. Or in my own family. But if you're at odds with your spouse or your kids all week long, maybe even on the car, in the car on the way to communion, and you go, all right, communion, let's eat it, it makes me holy, we've missed the whole point. Okay? So, um, legalism is very ritualistic. It's just performing the act itself that makes me right with God. Last thing, it can be sadistic. It can be cruel. This woman is bent over, crippled for 18 years. And the synagogue ruler says, you know what's most important is that we keep the rules here. You come back tomorrow. And in the name of holiness... It's cruel. It's judgmental. It's actually kind of fun because you get to be judgmental of how other people violate the rules you keep. That's why there's a number of places where there's these Sabbath healings. And in in all of them, notice the cruelty. So we've got this bent-over woman, and Jesus says, "You, you would... You treat your your dog better than her. You treat your donkey better than her. There's sadism toward this woman. There's another case in Mark 3 where there's a man with a shriveled hand. He's born crippled, and Jesus is going to heal him, and he looks around, and everybody's like, he's going to heal on the Sabbath. And it says this, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. There's a healing with anger because of their legalism. Then there's, uh, in John 5, there's a man at the pool of, some say Bethsaida, some say Bethesda. Um, But one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Crippled for 38 years. So Jesus heals him. And he's walking down the road with his mat, because he had a mat. He's joyful. By the way, the other thing about legalists, you know how you can tell? Joyless. There is no happiness. The joy of the Lord is not there. Because it's about keeping the rules. So he's skipping and hopping down the road, and, and some Jews find him. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. Not, hey, Clyde, let's have a party. You're healed. You're carrying your bed on the Sabbath. And then it's a violation, like Barney. That's a 401 violation right there. 
carrying your, Sabbath, your bed on the Sabbath. Who did this? We want his name. Well, it was Jesus. So they confront Jesus. Jesus answered them, My father's working until now, and I'm working. Ooh. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, okay, <laughs> their reasoning was this. Moses said, Stone the stick carrier. Let's stone this guy, right? But he was also even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. But notice the joylessness. Notice the sadism. Right? Then there's in John 9, another pool, southern part of, of Jerusalem, the pool of Siloam. And there's a, a, a man there who was born blind. And Jesus heals the, mo- the man born blind. And he sees now. He sees in color. Kind of like this week. I went to get new glasses. I could see now. <laughs> I'm not wearing them now, so I don't know. I can't, I can't really tell. But it's a wonderful thing to have your vision. Right? And he's happy. But the Jewish people, are, are, they are mad. And they call him in to uh, a meeting and... So some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Very black and white. He doesn't keep the Sabbath, therefore he's not from God. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So let's call in the man and question him. They said to him, what did he do to you? And this is the second or third time they've asked this question. How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you wouldn't, you will, uh, you, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Now, I love this. Do you also want to become his disciples? What? And they, they, they're furious because he's toying with them. He's like, I, I am so sick of your religion. I can see now. I am joyous. And you're, you're, you're stuck on this. Is Jesus a sinner because he opened my eyes? Right. And he goes, he lectures them. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and and you would teach us and they cast him out. So I think the lesson here is in all our religion and our uh, our ethics and morals and Christianity has lots of morality and so forth. Have we lost our heart of compassion for humanity? Do we see other people as those created in the image of God? Those in the womb? Those Outside of the womb, born with disabilities? 95-year-old hunched-over ladies at Heritage Woods? People of different political parties? Can we get so caught up in our, uh, our religious legalisms that we've lost our compassion for humans. 
Let's examine ourselves, and we'll talk about it more at the tables. Lord, um, thank you that you set the example, took the heat, and showed us how far off in the name of religion we can be. And Lord, ultimately I pray that we would repent of joyless, sadistic legalism and you would replace it with joyful compassion for one another. May you receive all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.